so I, I was reading um, the booklet uh, A Must and um, the en- entrance to the calling, how the the believer can experience three offices, I should say, the prophet, priest, and king. Um, and it's just really awesome um, truth in, in that we can all experience what you know, what God had accomplished personally for each one of us and how we can partake and intercede for one another in prayer. And so I want to read First um, Peter chapter 2, um, verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lie in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which is disobedient, the stone which the builders allowed, the same is made the head of the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And, you know, that verse 9, it just really, you know, stood out to me in that booklet you know in the in the old testament order the priesthood was like a hierarchy over the nation and in their service they were under the authority of the high priest you know everyone in that time um and in the new testament order for each one of us every believer is a priest unto god and in first peter 2 9 it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Um, and the Old Testament priest um, was sanctified or set apart, both by being born into the priestly family of Levi and through his ceremony. He, you know, he, there was the ceremony where he was in, inducted into the priestly office. Um, and then at the beginning of his ministry, he was also cleansed. And we see, and for us as believers, um, the moment we accept Christ, we are cleansed um, at the moment we're saved. And that's in Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him, have having forgiven you all trespasses. And also in Titus 3.15 says, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
I believe it was at the beginning of the month, um, you know, through, through, throughout the week, we had been taught our calling or and how our calling is based upon our position. And for it to be effectual is through submission to his word and it's by being taught. In our believer priesthood ministry that we each have individually, um, it's all under the authority of Christ, who is our true high priest. So, so not only are we cleansed like the Old Testament priests were, the moment we're saved, but because of our salvation, we are also set apart unto him. And that's his, his work that he did when we believe. Um, and so we're set apart by the new birth into the family of God, just like the priests in the Old Testament, how they were born into the family of Levi, well, we're born into the family of God, and we've been regenerated. And I believe, you know, Romans um, 12, Romans 12, 1 is an awesome verse for, or chapter in in this topic it's, it says i i beseech you i beg of you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god which is your reasonable or your spiritual service and worship in the Le levitical sacrifices the, the offer placed his offerings so as to face the most holy place does you know he's bringing it to the Lord, um, and here in Romans twelve one it says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of, of God, that you present." And the word "present" um, means to place beside or near, to present, to offer, to put at one's disposal, and it's the technical term for presenting the Levitical victims and offering. Obviously, in this case, Paul wasn't talking about the Old Testament, right? Um, he's referring to us as the church. And, you know, when I think of that, obviously it's not in a legal sense or performance way, but I think of Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Um, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Know, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And, you know, in every, in every facet of life and in anything we do, whatever we do is unto Him first and foremost. And, you know, I think that will keep our all our intents pure um, in the service. Um, says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Um, whole, whole, holy is hagios, which is the root meaning is that which is set apart for God. And that's who we are in Christ. We are set apart. We're his saints. The, the physical body of the believer, each one of us, is at the disposal of, of God. We're instruments of righteousness and to him, presented to him, both in the sense of being apart for his use, you know, set apart for his use, and holy in the sense of used for pure righteousness, 
and pure righteous purposes. And then, um, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Um, ser service is any service or ministration rendered for hire, the service of, of God, the service or worship of God according to the requirements of the Levitical law. And it's used in Hebrews 9.6 of the priest in the Old Testaments who performed the sacred service. So it speaks of a priestly service. Hebrews 9.6 says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went also into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Obviously, uh, again, is not speaking to us as the Levitical priest offering a burnt sacrifice like they did, but for us to offer a living sacrifice, which is not only us, right, our, ourselves that we're to offer to present our bodies a living sacrifice, but it also entails the giving of ourselves in connection with the giving of our bod bodies to the service of God. Uh, in the previous chapters in Romans 6, 11, and through 13, it says, Likewise, re reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive un unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bo body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Ne neither yield ye yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto him. And, you know, I believe all this goes right back to what, what I, I just um, shared, that us as believer priests, we have the, the true high priest as our example, which we can submit to, and then that service is evidently the source of him which is your reasonable service. And this here is in contrast to the, the, the worships of, of the priests in the Old Testament, which consisted of outward sacrifices. This is talking about spiritual, right, which we have. Um, and our reasonable service is based on our priestly re relation to Him, our position in Christ. Everything about our, our call, as we were taught a couple weeks ago, has to do with Christ alone who finished the work. And all we do is submit to Him. It's not according to our own works, as it says in 2 Timothy 1 9, who has sa saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. It's, it's God who places us where He, where he wills, in Ephesians 2.10, we're His workmanship. The fact that we are set up apart, we are saints, we are consecrated. It, that, that's God's, it's, it's a divine act of God that we've been consecrated, that we've been declared to be righteous. Re referring to the Old Testament, every, everything, you know, in the altar, in the holy place, resembles and points right to Christ. Every feature um, and furnishing of that place spoke of Christ. And so in each of our private walk with God, um, our worship is by and through 
and through Christ alone. It's no act of self. There, I, th- I thought it was interesting. There were two things that were prohibited in the worship of the Old Testament. Um, and one was that no strange incense was to be born. And that speaks of a mere formality in service to God, just a everyday mund- mundane, oh, this is what we do. Um, instead of everything you do, do it unto the Lord. And then the second was one was that no strange fire was allowed. And that speaks of the fleshly emotions in our service or the love of lesser things to the exclusion of the love for Christ. When I read that, you know, it really put into perspective what is important to me in my day, daily walk as a father, husband, you know, everything that I do, what's more important in my life than Christ. You know, last week I shared on the uh, unity that we have as a local assembly and how we can all, um, you know, partake and pray for one another. And that's that's one of the blessings and opportunities we can have as a believer priest is to um, go to God in prayer and intercede. In Hebrews ten nineteen. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new way and living way, which he has consecrated for us. It's him that's done it through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of, of God, let us all draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Um, you know, I, I, I think the picture is beautiful how because the veil was torn, we have this unlimited access to God wherein before time they didn't. First um, Timothy 2, one says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all them. And then Colossians 4.12 um, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salute you, always laboring fervently for you in, in prayers, that you may stand in perfect and complete in all the will of God. And, you know, I love that, you know, these exhortations of just being in prayer for one another, how prayer is super key in local assembly, spiritual warfare, and being joints that supply to each other when we're in need. And I just want to finish with this. I, uh, this is one of Ed's posts back in 2018. It says, um, The heavenly high standing and position of those in Christ, His church, His body, His bride, are those He washed from their sins in His own blood and ma- made us a kingdom priest to His God and His Father. To him be the glory and the might to the ages of ages. Amen. That's Revelations 1, 5 through 6. And it goes on to say, This is the very thing that Satan, with his crafty imitations and evil intentions, coupled with man's natural or carnal wisdom, has tended to obscure and darken. This is the end that this scheming enemy seeks to keep out of everyone's view. Non-believers and believers alike, the manifestation and illustration of God's grace through the truth that Christ is. 
Ephesians 2, 7, to obscure his reality, that in the ages to come he might show that the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. And the last paragraph says, Man can discover n nothing in himself that corresponds that is equal to such a high call calling. There's nothing in our ourself. It's all a work of him. And therefore, necessarily, naturally and carnally, relapses into a spirit of bondage, serving God from a low principle and for a low end, when it's not everything to do with the person of Christ alone, with his work that he finished, the results the same, bondage to the flesh under the influence of the enemy. Um, and that's a perfect um, summary of the, the believer priesthood. If it's not Christ and our dependence upon him, and the work he finished, all that we have left is just everything in itself. You know, it leads right back to bondage to the flesh. Um, I think it's awesome. The opportunity we have to be joined to that sub supply as um, believer in our own believer priesthood privacy with God. And how, you know, different um, denominations, cults or whatever how they really steal the opportunity of each believer to, ha to have their own privacy, believer piece of privacy with God. It's, you know, instead of, we don't need a mediator anymore on earth. We have Christ, you know, and that's awesome. So, God is going to come up now. So, um, we're going to be going through uh, several verses, um, several passages, and uh, I'll be reading from the Amplified just because it's, easier for me to understand, and that's what I study in. Um, so I'll start off with uh, Hebrews 9, and I'm just going to read the, the whole chapter as it's kind of key for, for all of this. Um, now, even the first covenant had regulations for divine worship and for earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle, which would be a sacred tent, was put up, uh, the outer one or the first first section in which there were lampstead and which there man I cannot read in which were there lampstead and the table with its loaves of sacred showbread this is called the holy place behind the second veil there was another tabernacle um, known as the holy of holies having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered entirely with gold this contained a golden jar which held the manna and the rod of Aaron that sprouted, and the two, tone, the two stone tablets of the government inscribed with the Ten Commandments. And above the ark were the golden cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But we cannot now go into detail about these things. Now when these things have been prepared in this way, the priest continually entered the outer or the first section of the tabernacle, which is the holy place, performing their ritual acts of divine worship. But into the second, the inner tabernacle, the holy of holies, only the high priest enters, and then only once a year, and never without bringing a sacrifice of blood, which he offers as a substitutionary atonement for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. By this, the Holy Spirit signifies that the way into the holy place, the true holy of holies in the presence of God, has not yet been disclosed as long as the first or outer tabernacle is still standing. 
For this is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which are incapable of perfecting the conscience and renewing the worshiper. For they deal only with clean and unclean food and drink and various ritual washings. Mere external regulations for the body imposed to help the worshipers until the time of reformation. That is the time of the new order when Christ will establish the reality of what these things foreshadow, a better covenant. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, the true spiritual worship, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not a part of this material creation. He went once for all into the holy place, and not through the, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, having obtained and secured eternal redemption, the salvation of all who personally believe in him as Savior. For if the sprinkling of ceremonially defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the cleansing of the body, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternally, who through the eternal Spirit willingly offered himself unblemished, without moral or spiritual imperfection, as a sacrifice to God, Cleanse your conscience from the dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. For this reason, He is the mediator and negotiator of a new covenant, an entirely new agreement uniting God and man, so that as those who have been called by God may receive the fulfillment of the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has taken place as payment which redeems them from the sins committed under the obsolete first covenant. For where there is a will and a testament involved, the death of the one who made it must be made established. For a will and testament takes effect only at death, since it is never enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. So even the first covenant was not put in force without the shedding of blood. For when every commandment in the law had been read by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats which had been sacrificed, together with water and a scarlet wool, and with a bunch of hyssop, he sprinkled both the roll itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that seals and ratifies the agreement, which God ordained and commanded me to deliver to you. And in the same way he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the containers and sacred utensils of worship, with this blood. In fact, under the law, almost everything is cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, neither release from sin and its guilt, nor cancellation of the merited punishment. Therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves required far better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. Nor did he enter into the heavenly sanctuary to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have had needed to suffer over and over since the foundation of the world. But now, once for all the consumption of the ages, he has appeared and been publicly manifested, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as it is appointed and destined for all men to die once, after this comes certain judgment. So Christ, having been offered once and once for all to bear as a burden, the sins of many will appear a second time when he returns to earth, not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation to those who are eagerly and confidently waiting for him. And um, as we can see, there was a massive, massive distance between just the common people, if you weren't a priest back then, you can see the massive distance between God and the human. You could see the difference between the distance between God and the sinner. And um, all that was taken to all that was needed to take place for the atonement of sins. I, I mean, there is so much to do. There are so many rituals. There were so many things that had to take place in order for the sinner to be taken care of. No more distance or separation. All, pre all past, present, and future sins were forgiven and dealt with. All guilt and condemnation are completely gone away. The distance was made short, and we're now able to enter the holy place. He saved us um, out of love, out of His compassion and mercy, because He knew that we were completely and utterly not capable of doing any of those things that were needed. Uh, in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, we'll see here what, what it says. For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various sinful desires and pleasures, spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. How much do we actually see that nowadays? You look on the news everywhere and you see people hating each other. You see people envying each other, people living a life full of malice. I mean, it's pretty evident how foolish and disobedient and deceived many people are and how enslaved they are to various sinful desires. In verse 4, But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared in human form as the man Jesus Christ, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of the compassion of His own compassion and mercy. By the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, He who poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we would be justified, made free of guilt of sin by His compassionate and undeserved grace, and that we would be acknowledged and acceptable to Him and made heirs of eternal life, actually experiencing it according to our hope. His guarantee. As we can see, I mean, God's love is uh, its so evident. Um, and I feel personally convicted over time. I mean, I lived my whole life not recognizing God's love. And I think a lot of the times when we get wrapped up in the earthly details of things that God says that He will take care of, we forget about God's love and we forget about the compassion that He had when he sent his son. We forget about all of these important, important, big, big things. And it's, um, as I was reading and studying this, I was so humbled to see that the creator of the universe itself, everything that has been known to exist in past, present, and future, the only one that has been able to do any of it, cared about me so much and the lives of mankind to, to jump the gap 
for us because he knew that we were not capable of it. That love is truly a love only a father ever carries, only a parent would ever have. Um, and he led me to Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. In this same attitude of humbleness and recognizing that I have absolutely no power whatsoever, in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, he explained to me. Um, here, I'll just read it. While we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life even for an upright man. Though perhaps for a good man, one who is noble and selfless and worthy, someone might even dare to die. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we now have been justified, declared free of the guilt of sin by his blood, how much more certain is it that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin by his life. That is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in His love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoyed our reconciliation with God. And as I read that very last end of verse 11, it immediately brought me back to Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, reading about the tabernacles and reading about the, the rituals and, and the traditions that had to take place to honor that agreement that was then. And now that it's abolished, how much more do we have that intimacy that, that God so ever desires to have with us, you know? And through the incredible blood, we were adopted. Children, sons and daughters. And um, I, uh, I, I started reading into um, what it was that, that took place for adoption. Um, in 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 the world, what what actually took place for adoption, and you know, parents have to be vetted. The child is obviously at an orphanage. The parents pay a price, and they take the child and give that child their name, their last name. That child now has a new identity. It's no longer John Doe. You know, it, it, that child has a new last name. Lives in a new house probably has new brothers and sisters, has no idea what's going on, but all he knows is that he went to a loving, or she went to a loving family. Um, in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, But when in God's plan the proper time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the regulations of the law, so that He might redeem and liberate those who were under the law that we who believe might be adopted as sons and daughters, as God's children with all rights, as fully grown members of a family. And because you really are His sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir. And through the gracious acts of God through Christ... 
we we are adopted into his family and every family members you know they have kind of like a little family group and I like to consider this my family group you know I'm a child of God now you know and so is everyone here and this is our family and um to think that God takes people out of the world system and places them into a place where it is a loving circle full of Christ, full of all of the works of Christ. You know, we all learn here at this local assembly. And, and, and in all of this, I, I see just the immense love that God has that, I, that none of us, I think, even have the capability to start to understand or even begin to try and reason with it. Um, it truly is His nature. Um, we are now His children. God's nature is love and His energy is light, which means that our energy must be light as well. In Ephesians 5, I'll turn to it real quick. Ephesians 5, 8 through 21. Okay, there it is. I'll go ahead and start reading. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, or the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to Him, your behavior, expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. Do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of the darkness, but instead expose them by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. For it is disgraceful even to mention the things that such people practice in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light of God's precepts. For it is light that makes everything visible. For this reason he says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine as dawn upon you and give you light. Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as the wise, sensible, and intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence. But the days are filled with evil, and as and so has taught us before in this verse, the days are filled with infectious evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what is the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, corruption, stupidity, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly guided by Him. Man, how many times do we need to be reminded that we need to be constantly guided by the Holy Spirit? Verse 19, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise by singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. God the Father, through His Son, took the distance between us and Him and put it between us and sin. With this new and beautiful and very pure identity that we have in Christ, let's not forget that a father gives good gifts. A good father gives good gifts. 
And Christ, before he left, he gave us several things. One of them has always been here. The other one descended, a comforter. In John 14, John 14, verse 26 and 27. It's just brief. But the helper, but the helper, the comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, and standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my in my place, to to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things, and he will help you remember everything that I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. And in the Amplified, it adds on to it, saying, Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance, giving you courage and strength for every challenge. God gave us... Christ left us the Comforter in exchange for Him to be present on earth. He gave us the Comforter, and we have the Word. The Comforter is the only qualified theologian, as it's taught here. The Comforter is the only qualified theologian to interpret the Word and to deliver it as when we need it. It is so precise, it cuts to the dividing asunder. It is a double-edged sword, and it stands with truth it is truth. I think for many years, I never truly grasped the intensity of those words. In John 1.1, we all know these verses. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. In verse 2, He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. All things were made and came into existence through Him, and without Him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. That very same God loves us so much that He took all that was said before and made it to where we have that intimate relationship with Him, that intimate relationship. And one other thing that He left us that I truly enjoy... um, Ephesians 6.10 In conclusion, be strong in the Lord and draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him and in the power of His boundless might. I think it's so encouraging to see that we have a reliability with God to draw strength from Him and to be encouraged by that union of that intimate relationship in that Holy of Holies that was very sacred for people to enter. Now we can freely enter with confidence, knowing that we are completely different. As children of light, we have the authority now with Christ in us to enter into the Holy of Holies and to take strength from Him and to be empowered by that union with Him. And then in verses 13 through 17, He gave us the armor of God. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that the crisis demands to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. So to stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, moral courage around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and upright heart. 
and having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then finally, as I wrap up here, um, Hebrews 12.1. It's ironic that I also read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run the endurance and, act and end active persistence the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Verse 3. Just consider and meditate on Him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against Himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm very thankful to have a God that does not change His mind or His attitude of who I am and His Son. That does not change His mind on who we are as a whole in His Son. He doesn't change His nature or His character or his thought of me. And I think we're all truly blessed to see the, uh, the amount of love that he holds for us. As some would reject it, I, 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 I embrace it. I can't do anything but embrace it. A love so powerful like that will get what it, will get what it wants. God loves us so, so much. You know, and in, and in my studies as I was reading this, you know, over the last few months, God has really been showing his love for me. And um, it truly is uh, an honor to, to be loved by him. It's a blessing and it's, a, it's just a wonderful experience to be loved purely and to be desired purely to have, an, to, to have that intimacy with, uh, with the one that did all of this. He knew that we were incapable of doing anything at all, so he decided to do it for us. He knew that there was never going to be a sacrifice good enough to, to just even to go beyond just the sin, but to get rid of the guilt and condemnation as well. You know, uh, it truly is. Uh, I'm at a loss of words almost. Like I can't, I can't come up with enough words. I can't make up a word that, would, that, that can describe what I feel inside when I read these verses and when, when God talks to me this way about how much he loves us. You know, he truly is a good father and we are his children and we're children of light. And um, he's given us things to use. So um, in conclusion, that's, uh, that's what I have.